Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is April the 6th, 2016, and this is episode 1760 of the Survival Podcast. And I've got a great interview for you today. I have Cindy Miller for you today. She's the author of Let's Make Sense of Thermal Cooking. You might wonder, what is thermal cooking? I mean... When you first hear thermal cooking, you're like, well, thermal's heat, and most cooking involves heat, so isn't all cooking thermal cooking? I guess you could make that case, but what we're talking about here is passive thermal cooking might be a way to look at it. We take a food, uh, whatever we're cooking, we bring it up to a temperature, and we put it into a thermal cooker. What is a thermal cooker, you might ask? It's a highly insulated tool for cooking. And once you put it in there and close it up, you don't do anything. Think of it like a thermos, right? You have like a great big, highly insulated thermos. This is a lot like, one of the ways I've talked about cooking in the past is, you know, you take a big cast iron pot, fill up with like beans and ham or beans and bacon, and you put it on a campfire and get it to a, a boiling simmer, and then you put the lid on it, you wrap it up in a, in a, in a tank, uh, I'm sorry, like a towel or a blanket, You put it in a hole in the ground, cover it up. And then, you know, six, eight hours later, you dig it up, and it's still piping hot, and everything's perfectly cooked. Nothing can burn because you're maintaining a temperature. You're not at that's, that's what this is. But you don't have to dig a hole. There's actually, I didn't know this until I got an application from Cindy to be on the air. There's actually tools that you can buy that you keep in your house that are kind of like, well, like a crock pot, but they're not a crock pot, and they're a hell of a lot better insulated, and they actually seal completely up, and they're called thermal cookers. We'll be talking about all of that and more, like why you might actually want to do this, how this fits into preparedness and prepping, and a lot of other great stuff in just a bit as soon as we get Cindy on the line. Before we do that, let's take a look at the year that was the episode. The year, of course, is 1760. Uh, I actually took a jump through history today and was trying to go to page 1780, which doesn't exist on the wiki yet, because Alex is not that far ahead of me, and realized, wow... We would have skipped a lot of things like the Declaration of Independence and stuff like that. So where are we at in things here at 1760? I have Tacky's War and a change in attitude towards slavery. I also have the first and oldest American tobacco company. And I have Mad King George III takes the throne. Here we go. He's not insane yet, but in his later years, King George III will struggle with mental illness and eventually require a regent to administer his kingdom and empire. As he ascends the throne, King George attempts to distance himself from the ties with Hanover, Germany, by saying, quote, born and educated in this country, I glory in the name of Britain, end quote. It won't help much. His personal holdings are still in Hanover. He is 22 years old, and all in all, he will do well as king. He is very interested in science. When the Longitude Board gets bogged down with petty politics, he will grant an audience to the inventor of the Marine Watch, and shepherd his invention through the worst of it. A little royal attention always helps to grease the wheels. The king will do less well during the American Revolution. The French and Indian Wars has run up a heck of a bill, and the king will call for taxes on the colonies to pay for its own defense. These taxes will be unwelcome in America. Of course, in the modern day, the British will joke, so how is taxation with representation working out? My take by Alex Shrugged. No one really knows why King George III went mad. Some speculate it was due to a genetic disease that caused toxins to build up in the brain. But by 1811, it was clear that he could no longer reign. And a few years later, he was reduced to a raving fool. 
In the Academy Award-winning movie The King's Speech, King George VI expressed the worry that his stammering would place him in league with Mad King George III, who the British came to believe was at the root of the eventual loss of the British Empire. With Hitler on the march, the new king, George VI, would have to give many speeches and encouragement to his subjects. He was able to work through his speech impediment with help from Lionel, his therapist and friend. And in case anybody was wondering, German was spoken in the English royal household. The German connection never really went away, despite changing the family name to Windsor. His daughter, now Queen Elizabeth, remains on the throne as of this writing. Uh, so we have lineage all the way back to Mad King George there, who is, of course, the king that was the king of, of England during the American Revolution. I don't have a big take on this one here, but here's my guess. We've got a royal guy, okay, completely spoiled and lavish and able to have anything and everything he wants. Doesn't seem to be nuts when he's younger. Seems to get older and nuttier as he goes. Um, you don't really think of this being something like Alzheimer's or something like that, right? Because it's not that he couldn't remember stuff. He was raving nuts. So what might a spoiled person encounter in their life that might make them raving nuts? I would say syphilis. That would be my guess. Just a shot out of the cannon, I guess. But... A lot of the, you know, a lot of people believe that part of what made Hitler kind of nuts toward the end of, of things in Germany, uh, not that he was ever, you know, really sane, but I mean, kind of really start to go out there, was also insanity driven by syphilis. And it's certainly the case that you would think that a person like the King of England in the 1700s could have all the women he wanted, and some of them might not be of the best repute. Just saying. So, that would be my guess. But who the heck knows? But, uh, Let's see. Spoiled rich people uh, taking advantage of privilege, telling other people how to live while not doing what they say that you should do themselves. more things change, the more they stay the same. With that, let's hear from our uh, two sponsors of the day. Hey, folks, when I started TSP over eight years ago now, the first company to ever offer to sponsor the show was SafeCastle. And they've remained a loyal sponsor ever since February of 2009. And did you know they give away a lifetime discount membership to all MSB members? They do. And that can save you big money on everything you can imagine for your prepping needs. And with SafeCastle, I do mean everything. Check out SafeCastle.com today to learn more. Hey, guys, what do you call a gun without ammo? Well, I call it an overpriced club or perhaps a way to get a loan at a pawn shop. So I keep a good supply of ammo around, and I always shop BulkAmmo.com when I need more. With shipping that's so fast you'll wonder how they do it, all the common calibers and a discount for MSV members on top of it, check out BulkAmmo.com today and give them a shot at your business. And on that note, I'm ready to bring Cindy on. Um, I do want to uh, remind you we are running a poll right now to select the next three Tuesday shows. In the future, it'll be for all four Tuesday shows. So next month we'll have, uh, you can pick up the four votes for Tuesday shows. Uh, next month, this is a new thing I'm doing. I'm trying to give the audience a lot more of a voice on the show, and I'm doing that by running a poll on the forum. Let me give you the current results right now. Bizarre. Only 175 people have voted, so these numbers could be swung if you get on there and vote. You do have to join the forum to vote. I tried to run a simple Facebook poll, and the Facebook poll app is a pain in the ass, and uh, it just doesn't work well. So anyway... Um, 
here is the current result. Small-scale food forestry in the lead at 26% of the vote, making and using herbal medicines at 20% of the vote, and outdoor cooking at 16% of the vote. Remember, you can vote for up to three. Uh, so right now, those would be the next three shows if everything held, but there's kind of anybody's race type of thing going on. Setting up a remote property, bug out location at 14%. How to talk to friends about prepping without sounding like a loon, 13%. Investing in gold and silver in the last place at 9% of the vote. So there'll be a link in the show notes today. I put out a post on this yesterday. Just get on over the forum and vote. Unlike the national elections, your vote actually does count here. With that, I want to say let's bring on our special guest to talk about Thermal cooking. Cindy Miller is the uh, the author of a book called Let's Make Sense of Thermal Cooking. She's here today to talk to us about mastering the art of thermal cooking. And with that, hey Cindy, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Oh, hi, thanks. Hey, I'm really glad to have you on. We're going to talk about uh, the art of thermal cooking. In fact, mastering the art of thermal cooking and. That's that's a really cool subject, and it certainly fits right in with the type of thing we talk about all the time around here. But I always like to kind of connect the guests to the audience, especially if it's the first time they've been on the show. So could you kind of talk about you know how you got into doing what you're doing in the first place, and maybe a little bit about your background, uh, you know, what you did professionally or or what have you? Absolutely. So uh, when I was younger and my kids were younger, I actually owned a wedding business with my mom. So we did some catering and decorating and things like that. And I didn't think much above about it, except for I think the food part of it was sort of important for what I do now. About uh, 12 years ago, I decided to learn about health and nutrition a little more to help my family. And uh, I thought, oh, the Internet's so great. Let's just go ahead and pick up the um, – you know, the Internet and study on the Internet. And I thought, you know, I got all this information out there. Why can't I just access it? And I would procrastinate like no other. So I could never get myself to study. So what I decided to do was schedule a class. So I scheduled a class on a couple of health subjects. And guess what happened? I totally started um, studying. And so when I wanted to learn a new subject, I just scheduled a class. And then I would study on it and then I'd teach. And so it actually led into preparedness. I teach a lot of preparedness classes because it naturally led into health and nutrition and, you know, led into gardening and water purification and all sorts of things. And about five years ago, I was introduced to a thermal cooker. And after my mom, my mom is actually the one that found it for me. And she told me one day, she says, I found this really cool product and I really love it if you would go online and see if I should buy it. And I said, oh, no problem. I can do that. Go online, buy it, whatever, uh, and see if you want to buy it. And she uh, decided to, about four months later, she said, oh, yeah, by the way, Cindy, I went and bought that thing you never looked at. <laughs> so I ended up um, thinking it was so great. I, I wanted to make a brochure up with it to show it in my classes because I just thought it was such a wonderful item. And it ended up being a book instead of a brochure or a little pamphlet for my class members. So that's sort of where I came from as far as why I'm teaching about thermal cooking and now I just travel around and teach about that so so let's kind of talk about that too because I mean when a person hears thermal cooking well thermal's heat yeah. all cooking <laughs> seems like thermal cooking but this is actually something different uh maybe we maybe passive thermal or something I, I guess might be a more accurate description but what exactly is thermal cooking 
Hey, that's a great point. When I'm at a show or something and I'll say, do you know what thermal cooking is? People look at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> they say, so it's with the sun. I get mostly answers are with the sun. And then the next one is, well, it's just heat cooking. And I went, yeah, actually it is. What happened, I just found some more references, and I found the first thermal cooker that came out was actually out of Malaysia, and it was the Thermos brand. It's a shuttle chef in 1988, and it was just the first stainless steel version, and I guess they called it a thermal cooker, and now we sort of call it a thermal co thermal cooking. It's actually retained heat cooking, and it's been around forever, forever and ever. You know, put the pig under the ground with the hot coals in there, cover it over, and you're retaining that heat cooking that food slowly over time. Yeah, I mean, we, we did that camping all the time. We'd take a uh, cast iron uh, Dutch oven and fill it up with beans and bacon and, and get it simmering and then bury it in a hole in the ground and throw you know dirt on top of it. And eight hours later, when it was dinner time, it was perfectly cooked. Absolutely. That's exactly what we're talking about. So exactly. why do we want to do that? What are, the, what are the benefits of thermal cooking? Yeah, there's the thing that I've learned is – It, it, what we've done in our history, let's talk a little bit of history as we go through benefits, because it's been around forever. And I've been watching your show, and I noticed that I think today is 1760 as far as the episode number. I don't yep. know. So I thought, let's research a little bit of uh, what they use as far as thermal cooking and if it was even around back then. And they actually had what was called a, a, a beehive oven, which is like a pizza oven or um, – you know, one of those big ones that go outside, and they just heat up the outside of the oven, and it's retained heat cooking, which I thought was sort of interesting. But what it does is it conserves nowadays, that uses a ton of fuel to use, you know, to heat up that type of a thermal cooker or a retained heat cooking oven. But what we have now are smaller versions. They used to have what was called hay boxes or straw boxes. Um, there's all sorts of types, digging a hole, wonder boxes. There's a whole bunch of type. What they do is they save fuel. First of all, you're only putting enough, using enough fuel to heat up your food to boiling. And that's another thing to remember is that we're boiling the food, and that's where we're retaining the heat. It's all about thermal mass, and we'll go into a little bit of that, I think, too. Uh, so it's saving on fuel. It is also uh, a green source, and that's why it's because it saves on fuel. Some, uh, some people say it can save 80 to 90 percent in fuel savings, and that's probably like cooking beans or cooking something that boils for a long time. Uh, Some of the things that won't burn, if you don't burn it going in, it's not going to burn it coming out. There's just no way because the temperature is reducing uh, as the time goes by. Uh, it, it keeps the flavors in. It keeps the odors in. You don't have the smell. Another thing is in the summer, if you're, you don't want to get your kitchen all hot, use a thermal cooker, and then you're not heating up your kitchen because your food goes in early. There's no source of heat running all day. It's just in the thermal cooker waiting for you to eat it. It's portable. Uh I don't know. I could go on and on. There's tons of benefits to using a thermal cooker. Yeah, so let's kind of maybe talk a little bit about, well, how, how does this thing work? What, how, how does it actually function and, and what makes it work? Okay, that's a great question. So when what you want to think about is thermal mass and the size of the actual volume of food that you're cooking. So let's say I've got a pot that's two quarts big. It's, it's, it's the size of two quarts. And I have another pot that's seven quarts. Okay. And you think of bringing both of those to a boil, turning off your heat, which one's going to cool faster? Well, the smaller one, of course. The smaller one's going to cool faster because it's a smaller thermal mass. So what we're doing is we're taking those pots and sticking them in some kind of a insulated, um, an insulated 
house, I don't know, version, you know, an insulated pot, anything that's going to insulate it. You can add hay around the back. You can put it in the ground. What you're going to do, though, is that insulation is going to extend the heat time so that it, it stays hot longer because it's going to trap that heat inside. And, and cook it. And so if you think if you look at it, what happens is you put the food in like I, I have a Saratoga Jack and I have a shuttle chef. The, sh- the Saratoga Jack, if I bring my food to a boil, I'm in Salt Lake. So it goes to a boil at 205 degrees at my elevation. And if I put it in the pot and my food is totally boiling at 75 to 80 percent full, it's boiling. Then I put it in my thermal unit and this that unit will lose four to five degrees an hour. So in eight hours, if I go by five degrees, it's still 165 degrees in the pot. And that cooker is just sitting there waiting for me to open it and eat it anytime during the day, which I love. And you kind of, you know, when I, when, I, when I got your thing, I was a little bit like a thermal cooking. And I, you know, real quick snap to, to it based on your, your application to be on the show. And I started looking around, and there are quite a few different brands. You mentioned a couple so far. Um, we got a big DIY audience. I mean, this is the kind of thing you look at some of the stuff. It's a hundred, two hundred dollars or more. Something you can make yourself, and you know, kind of what's what's the advantages of going with a unit that's actually built for the purpose rather than okay. doing a DIY. Let's talk about both of those types, and then I have lots of suggestions to do it yourself too. So first of all, a stainless steel version. There's two types. One is a foam unit, and one is a vacuum sealed, like a thermos. Uh, the differences are the thermos in a smaller thermal mass is actually probably going to be more efficient if you need a smaller amount. But too small, I don't know that it's going to be too efficient there either. Um, but you, you definitely, once they're bigger, it really is insignificant which kind you use. Because if you're keeping it eight hours, eight hours to me is a pretty good amount of time to make sure it stays hot. And both the foam, a good foam unit and a good vacuum sealed unit will do the same. What you're looking for is you want to make sure there's not places for air to escape because air is the enemy in thermal cooking. That gives a place. If there's air, it gives a place for the heat to go. So you want to have it sealed. Also, if they have nice clad iron, um, clad bottom pots, the heavy bottom pots, like, uh, then you want that so it has good heat distribution in the pots and it'll, it'll hold the heat and, and cook well on the hot, inside the pot. So the vacuum, the foam ones are a little bit less expensive. They also are super durable. Mine has like gone sailing off the back of my truck with no problem. I, I, anyway, it didn't have food in it, right? Usually it doesn't have food in it when I do that. I'm a little more careful when I have food in it, but I definitely have sent it flying. And the vacuum, I'm really baby my vacuum one because a, a vacuum sealed, you know, if you have a thermos, you don't want to crack it. Not that I think they're pretty heavy duty. I'm not really super worried about that. They're also a little more pricey. They're going to cost, uh, you know, probably double what the others are or somewhere thereabouts. So I like both the stainless steel versions. I think they're, I have, like I said, I have one of each. So the thing about some of the ones with the, what you want to look at, there's another part of thermal cooking. So they have the outside unit when you get a thermal cooker that's a stainless steel. And then they either have one pot or two pots that go inside. There's some of them that the pots stack on top of each other, like three liters a piece, and they stack. So you can do two different meals, and you stack them on top of each other, and then you just um, heat up the food, put them in there in the thermal unit, and then close the lid, and then you've got two different meals. There's also some where you have a big seven-liter pot and a smaller two-and-a-half-liter pot that nestles inside. That gives you the option of having both a big pot of stew that's available or 
um, you can have two different meals, one on the top and one on the bottom, by bringing them to a boil and nestling the smaller one into the big one and then putting it into the thermal unit, okay. which works great. Very cool. And, I mean, what, what can we cook in there? I mean, oh, actually, you were going to give us some ideas for making our own. Absolutely. I don't want to skip on that. Yeah, because that's pretty important. Uh, and I have to tell you, a few weeks ago I had a class, and I thought, you know what? I, I got a new Wonder Box. I got my own Wonder Box or Wonder Oven, whatever you want to call it, and it's the like the pillows. And believe it or not, I have had one. If I've ever had to use one, I borrowed it. So I I had my own, and I thought, okay, I'm going to test it. And at the same time, I wanted to test one with a – I just think using a really good cooler is a really good idea because they're so, you know, they're going to hold cold in there if you got a good cooler for going camping or whatever. So I thought, I want to use a cooler. So I had my Wonder Box, and I had the cooler with blankets and heavy pot, and then I used my thermal cooker, and I tested them all at the same time, and I took them to my class. What you want to watch for in insulation is, like I said, air is the enemy in insulation. Not it's on it, the enemy inside too. You want to make sure your pot's full, so there's a big thermal mass. But it's also the enemy on the outside with your insulation. So in the olden days, they would use things like hay and straw, feathers, sawdust, rags, wool, shredded paper, um, lots of things you could use. Nowadays, they have those little tiny styrofoam balls in a lot of them, and that's what mine's made of. And one thing I noticed, and I read some articles, and that is if you're making your own, what you want to do is you don't want hair at places for air to go. So if you're going to use styrofoam balls inside of something like a, a Wonder Box, and there's plenty of re uh, patterns online to figure out how to make them, you want to also figure out how to find the styrofoam specs. Because if you think of a ball and balls are set next to each other, it has little air pockets around it and it loses heat faster, where if you had little specks to fill up those spaces, then those can be just as efficient as a, um, a stainless steel version of a thermal cooker, which is really nice. Um, another thing to think of, so let's go back to uh, other ways to make them as far as, so my experiment. So what I did is I had a soup. I only had a two-quart thing of soup that I brought to a boil, put it in the Wonder Box. It only lasted four hours in my Wonder Box, and it was at 140 degrees. You don't want to really go much under 140 degrees. Um, also, a, thermo a thermometer is super important. You always want to keep a thermometer with you when you have thermal cooking so you can tell what temperature it is. If I needed it to last eight, 80, I mean eight hours, I would have gone ahead and stuck it back on the oven and then put it back in to my uh, Wonder Box. A couple things I noticed about the Wonder Box. Um, it didn't retain the heat because of the, the different insulation that I had in it. Um, I would have liked it to gone a little longer. Another lady had one there, and I could tell her insulation was better because it was thicker. It, it, you could tell that it would pack around her pot better than mine did. And hers would have stayed there longer. It would have retained the heat longer. So when you're making one yourself, make sure that you have a, a good insulation that will pack really well. Also, you want about four inches of insulation around your pot. So if you're even just using a box, like a hay box, you want about four inches around it that you can set your pot into. Um, and that's what they were using around the, the, or the turn of the century, were hay boxes and straw boxes. They used them all the time. One thing I noticed in an article that I read from um, 1905 was that the lady in the, it was actually a book, it was called... Um, it was called Fireless Cooking, 
is the one it is, and it's published in 1905. And she said that the thermal cooking or retained heat cooking was not popular here yet. It's actually called she called it fireless cooking. It's not popular here yet, but it's coming to America, right? I thought that was really funny. That that's what we say now. It's not very popular, but it's starting to be more popular. And I always find it interesting that it was coming, and now let all those years it wasn't here, all because of electricity. Um, we are so spoiled that way. Is electricity? But back to the one. So my one thing, my experiment. I guess I should get, finish my story with experiment first. <laughs> so the th- when I teach my classes, my classes are used to this. They're like, okay, Cindy, get back to the story you were telling us first. I'm mm-hmm. like, okay. So I that's my wonder box. Then we move over to the cooler one. The cooler one I actually made bread in. And um, so it didn't actually, it wasn't able to come to a full, complete boil the whole entire meal, right? The water around the outside, the pot, or the dish I had in there with the bread in it was, that's what I was measure, measuring the temperature. But there's no way I'm going to boil a loaf of bread, the actual bread. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't, you know, figuring out the numbers on that are a little bit different. I would have had, it, I'm, you know, we're looking at apples and oranges here. So what I did is I did find out that um, the water after the four hours was actually 140 degrees in that one too. And what I'd done is I had the cooler, the blankets, and it was a seven liter pot uh, with um, the bread inside of a metal container on the inside. And I was happy with that because if it would have been soup, it would have it would have been hotter if it was soup. What I did in my thermal cooker was I did the bread also. I did a loaf of bread in there also, so it was exactly the same as the one in the cooler, and it was still 165 degrees in there. In fact, when I opened it, the whole class went, well, is that going to be, what's the temperature in there? They really want to know what the temperature was. And they were like, oh, look at the steam coming off of that one. That one's still hot. So it was substantial. I was actually impressed with it. It was substantially longer um, than the other two homemade ones. But that doesn't mean the homemade ones won't work. And for the right food that you're cooking, I say make them. I mean, if there's an emergency, mine I have that are stainless steel are going to be filled up, and I'm going to know have the knowledge to be able to make more food, making them myself. Sure. I mean, the the cooler is obviously something that is kind of made for the task, so to speak. It's designed to retain temperature and to maintain temperature. So it, it probably can work fairly well and it probably would have done a lot better of a job like you said if you were using something that that had more of the heat in the mass itself rather than bread which had a lot of space that you were actually trying to transfer heat to uh, exactly. but the purpose built stuff seems like it it really is more efficient works better and that probably the the, the price of them can seem kind of high to people but i imagine that is because of the level of quality necessary to make something that will retain heat that well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's, like I said, I'm I'm more about, I do it, I'm a do-it-yourself person all the way. And I, when it comes to convenience and portability, you think about also, this is another point, is I carried in that day, I carried in my big cooler, and then the problem with my Wonder Bag is that it's a brand new Wonder Bag and I spilled soup on it <laughs> already. So, I would next time put my Wonder Bag down, put a garbage bag, lay that over the top, put a towel on top of that, then put my pot in, because there's no way you're not you're you're gonna spill, and it's in a laundry basket by the way. So I carry yeah. in my laundry basket, and then I pick up my little thing with a handle on it and carry that in, and it's half the size of the one and a third the size of the cooler. 
Because that is like a really cool benefit. Like if you were going to somewhere and you're doing like a potluck uh, type of gathering or something, basically you could you could make that in the morning, go to a place where you're not going to be even eating for four hours, throw it up on the table and just open it when it's time to eat. And you don't have to worry about anything. And it's going to be nice and, you know, good serving temperature at the time that you actually serve it. Yeah. In fact, I have a perfect example for that. My my son was um, we had a big party for him and we had church before. So we I had everything lined up ready. And when I got home from church, I had five cookers lined up on my counter. I pulled up out some chips and tortilla, sorry, and some tortillas and some lettuce and put it on one end. And then I just hit those things on the thermal cookers and opened up some you know, cafe Rio pork and some beans and some rice. And then I had two salads and just flipped those open. And it was just a beautiful thing. We fed a hundred people easy, huh. just went through the line. They had cookies or whatever at the end. A couple people brought more salads, but it was great. And it was the easiest after catering for 20 years. I really wish I would have had thermal cookers when I was <laughs> catering. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because it, there's, When you're cooking for people, more than, you know, one or two people, there's always this desire to make sure you don't put cold food in front of them. Yeah. You know, a lot of people, I think, serve food too hot, too, like when it comes to steaks and stuff. They don't let it rest or whatever. But in the end, you, what you don't want to do is have somebody come in looking for, you know, food, and then it's it's like, you know, 70-degree food. It's It's cold at that point. And most people don't really like their food cold, but the other side of it is, If you're trying to warm stuff in an oven or whatever, you run this huge risk of like overdoing it, overcooking yeah. it, ruining it. Yeah. Balancing catering is such a last minute thing. You're <laughs> always last minute thinking about cooking everything to the minute. And when I have a class now, I have everything ready two or three hours ahead of even leaving to go to my class. It's just sitting in the cookers till I get to class. That's the thing I love the most about, about it is that it's not last minute and I don't have that high stress of um, intensity the catering does. There's always something that goes wrong in catering, by the way. There's yeah. always one thing you're high, you're trying to figure out and, and balance it in the end, and I don't get that much at all anymore. Yeah, we run events here where we'll have, you know, 30, 40 students plus a staff of a dozen, and it's it's the most laborious component to the whole thing is making sure everybody's fed well and happy and the, the food quality's there. It, and, you know, we've yeah. gotten pretty good at it, but... This could be advantageous. And like another thing I look at is like, so the other day my wife loves uh, pot roast. So I took a pot roast, chucked it into the slow cooker, set it on low, and it does a fine job. People have been making pot roasts and slow cookers forever. But if you go look at food and it's like got a rapid boil going on around it, you're not slow cooking anymore. Now you're boiling. And, you know, sooner or later when you have a pot roast and a slow cooker, you go there and you're You're boiling meat, you know, where yeah. if you did a pot roast with this, I imagine, you know, you, you, you put your pot that the roast is in, you get your temperature up, you throw it in there. Well, you're only going one point, one way from that direction down in temperature. Yeah. And pot roast is a great example to, to show a couple tips on cooking in the thermal cooker. And, uh, that's because it, it works. I mean, it, it works so nicely for especially cheaper cuts of meats in the thermal cooker. Sure. Because one of the best things for them is cooking slowly at a low temperature. And you're cooking at 205, you're, you know, not, not more than 212 degrees for a short amount of time and it slowly loses its, its, the heat. And so you're going down in temperature. 
when you think of a pot roast, and this is what I teach in my classes, I actually have two ways to do it. I sear the meat, you know, onions, garlic, whatever, sear the sure. meat, then add the liquid. But what I found myself doing, and I found an article um, in one of the Cook's Illustrated um, books that's a Mythbusters book, and I, I just got this idea, why don't we try bringing the, food, the water to a boil first and then adding the meat instead of searing it, and it works great. It's it, it just sears the outside just a bit with because it's at 212 degrees. You drop that in there. Also, it's not. A, I don't usually use a big piece of roast because if you think about it, my book is all about um, a preparedness with a preparedness mindset. So if I have a big chunk of meat in there, I have to increase my boiling time to get the heat going into the center of that roast. Where if I cut it in about one and a half to two inch chunks just cut it right through the roast and then drop those into the boiling water i usually boil them 10 or 15 minutes by the way it doesn't hurt to boil them longer if you want you're not gonna hurt anything but since it was a preparedness book i wanted to make sure that i i i did it i tried to do the least amount possible and then so what i would do is bring uh, maybe a saute onions and garlic add some water bring it to a boil drop those pieces of meat in let it come back to boil for 15 maybe 20 minutes the interesting thing is is if I was an emergency, I could actually do a four-minute boil on that, and it would still be cooked through at the end. It just wouldn't quite be as tender. So you draw more like a uh, stew cut on the meat than a than you know you yeah. roast. Yeah, I, it would be it it would still be done, but it wouldn't be quite as as well. So then I would drop the meat in there, let it boil for ten minutes, maybe a little bit longer. Put my vegetables in, let them boil for maybe two minutes, and then put a couple packets of gravy in. And then make sure it gets back to a boil. Put it in my thermal cooker. Between six and eight hours later, my pot roast is there ready. One thing you'll notice is it might be a little thin. Because one thing I learned in my research, which I didn't know, was that cornstarch does not hold the thickness if it sits in heat over time. And so I always keep a little bit of ultra gel close by. Uh, you know, some kind of a thickener. It's a thickener that thickens in, in about five minutes. Just add a little bit at the end. And then I got a nice gravy on my pot roast. Mm. So, I mean, we're talking about pot roast and soup-like things, but you can make a lot of things in a thermal cooker, can't you? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when I first started writing the book, if I would have had this book written the first year that, you know, I really wanted to do it because I wanted to get it over with and done, <laughs> I would have missed a whole lot of information. And I think that's why I had to go through this process. Because it was at first it was going to be a book on how to do soup and pot roast, really. Uh, what else is there to do? We figured out pretty soon you could make bread in it. But with container cooking, I call it container cooking, I can literally make anything in it. And a good example of that is um, lasagna. Let's talk about three different ways to make lasagna in the thermal cooker. It just gives you an idea of of my mind, my process of thinking as I was trying to figure out how to make this appliance work. Um when I was, I wanted to figure out how to make something that was thick, I could cook it in the thermal cooker. And that's why the ultra gel was so important because I found out you could add that at the end and it just worked wonderful. But lasagna, you can't really do that with. Also, lasagna has food in it or items in it that you cannot bring to a boil. It's impossible. So one technique was to make the sauce and bring it to a nice boil with the meat in it, whatever you can put in it that'll boil, you're putting it in the sauce. And then I like to use either leftover pasta or oven lasagna noodles. If I have leftover pasta, I use that so that I use them up. Otherwise, I use oven noodles, which are, you know, you put in, you don't cook them first. 
and then mix up my um, ricotta, ricotta. I got to say it right, right? My ricotta and then uh, my egg and Parmesan or whatever. So I mix those together and then I'm just going to add some meat on the, or the sauce on the bottom of my pot that is at a low temperature. I don't want to scorch it. You got to be careful not to scorch it. So you're, this is a, ten, a technique to use when you're babying it. So you're going to add the sauce and you're going to layer your ingredients just like you do a regular lasagna. Maybe go up three inches at the most. If you want more lasagna, do one in the top pot also. Because I have the kind that I, the one I like is the one that nestles inside of each other. And then I could, it'd be like a dripper pan size if I did both. Otherwise, I would add either boiling water or some other food item in that top pot because we want thermal mass, right? So you don't want a lot of air in there. So you need to, you need to make sure and fill something in that top pot. And I would let that lasagna simmer, try and get it to simmering the best I can. There's no way I'm going to bring it to a boil without burning it. So I don't. I just watch it real careful. When I get to the point that I want to, I go ahead and put it in the thermal unit, uh, put the top pot in it, and close the lid. And then I am going to eat that between two and four hours because you can manipulate time. You don't have to have it in there eight hours because it's not going to stay hot that long sure. because I didn't get it to a boil. So I'm going to like make sure it gets set up by leaving it probably a good two hours, and then I'll have it for sure eat it by four if I was going to do it that way. Another idea is you just need a heat source. You do have to have a heat source with thermal cooking. So let's say this time my heat source is going to be my oven. Go figure. I have my oven, so I'm going to use it. Because the thing about a thermal cooker, if you don't use it now, you're not going to use it in an emergency. Because you're going to go to what's comfortable and what's easy. And if you don't know how to use it, you won't use it. So I would go ahead. So use it now. That's my point. Use it now. Figure out how to use it now. And uh, so make your lasagnas like normal, put them in your pots, in the thermal cooking pots, layer them with the cold ingredients, slide them in your oven, get them nice and boiling. You can even take the temperature at the end so you know how long it can stay in the thermal cooker and then use your thermal cooker as a warmer. There's no reason why you can't do that. The third way is to use containers. And I, I have, um, there's a Pyrex four cup container that I really like and two of them fit really nicely in the seven liter um, cooker and then there's also mason jars mason jars by far are probably my favorite those pint mason jars are like a serving or maybe a little more mm -hmm. depends on if it's a you know one of my boys or if it's you know my daughter um it just sort of depends on how much they'll feed so i will put make little lasagnas in either the containers or the mason jars and if i have four mason jars the pints with the wide mouth lids on the top I, I layer them up, put them in the thermal cooker, cover it with water, make sure I have the thermal mass that I need, which is 75 to 80% full, bring them to a water, a boil, boil them for 15 minutes, put them in the thermal unit, and I have them whenever I want them, a meal for four. So anyway, that's just an idea of how to use the thermal cooker with one, like lasagna, only one different, you know, one different, one food, but you're using it in three different ways. Hmm. Technique, and I agree with you big time on the whole use it now. We we teach that here all the time. All of your preparedness gear, all of your emergency supplies, try to make them things that you use frequently because when you it, – it's not just that you're going to go to your comfort zone in, a, in an emergency. Even when you're trying to do something in an emergency, you're, you're – 
focus isn't where it would be in a calm situation where it's not really that critical. You're trying to get your backup power on with a flashlight held between your teeth and, and the rain coming down, and you've not ever used that system you know, in peacetime, so to speak. It's going to be a lot harder. You're going to make a lot more mistakes. You're going to get a lot more frustrated, and that's when you need it to do what it's designed to do. So I completely agree with your mindset. There. Exactly. And, and thermal cooking is one of those things. You're just not going to pull it out. I have people all the time that come up to me and say, they'll see me again. They'll be in my class. They've got a thermal cooker. They'll come up and, and they look all guilty like, oh, no, your thermal cooker's still in the box. Yeah. So I tell them, I say, okay, you have an assignment. I say the next time you have a potluck that you're supposed to take something, I said, you volunteer for ice cream. Get your cooker out of the box. Take, all, take the pots out. Go to the store, buy a bucket of ice cream and slide it in there and close the lid and take it. I said, at least you're using it. And your ice cream will be soft, ready to serve in five hours. That's that's awesome. And so it's another example of flexibility. If it can keep something warm, it can keep yep. something cold. Absolutely. Absolutely. What are some other creative ways you've used a thermal cooker in preparing like a whole meal? All right. So, yeah, we've done some fun things. When, Like I said, the book itself is about preparedness. So I thought, how's the easiest way to teach the principles? As you read through it, it teaches the principles of um, how to use a thermal cooker. And I thought, okay, the easiest way is to boil water. So I actually have about 12 recipes that I've, I, ha I teach how to use um, the thermal cooker in uh, with fresh ingredients. And then I've converted them over to freeze-dried and dehydrated meals. So when you look at the little chart for the freeze-dried and dehydrated, you can make up your own meals, and it shows you how what to put in one jar or a Mylar bag if you want. But I've done it by jars. And then the last column is my favorite because if you really like the recipe, don't make them if you don't like the recipe. Pick and you know, do something else. Don't make 12 of these if you don't like them because your family's not going to eat them. You're wasting your money. But if you like the recipe, the last column on those little charts And there's some of these charts on my website, and we can talk about that later. And they're just, you can download them if you want. The ingredients aren't there. It's really for somebody that got the ebook and, and they want the chart, the, the labels available, their labels. But anyway, um, we didn't need that. We, <laughs> you might want to edit that part. Anyway, so let's go back to, okay, so we have, um, the, the freeze dried and dehydrated meals. And the last column is 12, It makes 12 jars. So I figured out the bulk you need to buy to make 12 jars. And then at the bottom of the page, there's a label. But if you go to the back of the book, there's a page for each label. So you just make a copy of the label pages, and then you can put them right on your jars. You don't have to go buy your book, go find your book when you're ready to serve the food. You just, or make the meal, you just go. But those meals are so easy. You just put the water in the thermal cooker, bring it to a boil, dump in the jar, bring it back to a boil, put it in the thermal cooker, in the thermal unit, and you're set to go. So as we get, as we move on, then I move into things like uh, adjusting temperature, like we talked about with the lasagna, and we talk about meat, like I talked about with the um, pot roast. And some of my favorite ones, the bread is really an important one because bread is such a staple. The basic idea of bread is that what you want to do is you can use any, any recipe of bread that you'd like to use, as far as I can tell in the thermal cooker. I even have done natural yeast bread. Natural yeast bread, you want to make sure that it's totally risen where you want it before you even try to get it to come to a boil. If you have a, um, 
just a regular quick yeast, yeast inside of your bread and you've just mixed it up, then you can go ahead and cook it right after it's done mixing. You'll want your dough, your dough ball about the size of, it goes, so it's about half the size of the pot that you're going to use. Whatever container you found that you're going to cook it in. You also have to have covering on top. So my pots right now, I haven't found one that I super love yet. If they have a metal top on it, they're usually pretty small. And the ones that I have right that I use a lot are just um, off of like salad bar. They're stainless steel salad bar containers. And if some and and all I do is put tin foil and last an elastic across the top to hold to keep the moisture out. And then I put them down inside the thermal pot. The pot. Put water around the outside. Bring it to a boil. Let it boil for 15 to 20 minutes. And then put it in the thermal unit. And I have bread in two hours. Mm. Bread's wonderful. I made um, a couple weeks ago. That's one of the, I had two loaves of bread I pulled out. One was a regular loaf of bread. The other one, what I did is I made like cinnamon rolls. Like I'm going to make cinnamon rolls. I roll out the dough, put all the ingredients on it and roll it up. Instead of cutting it into cinnamon rolls, I made it like a pinwheel and then put it down inside of the, um, inside of the pot and cooked it that way. That needed about a five minute longer boil, I think because of the sugar in there. And and you open it up and it was delicious. It was a a cinnamon bread roll. I mean cinnamon roll bread. It was really good. There's just herb bread. It's it works. I mean it's just delicious. And I love talking about this about lunchtime, right? Yeah. So, yeah. but my the one by far that I use is the funnest one to do is um, I love oven bags. Oven bags. All you need is a container to keep the water out, right? So oven bags. I don't use crockpot bags because they go the wrong direction, but an oven bag works super because it's the right direction. You mean like a browning bag, right? Yeah, like okay. one. Yeah, it, you just buy them at the store. It's called an oven bag, and it's nice and strong and sturdy. You know, they put the, they can put turkeys in them, but they're the big ones. They're just the smaller ones. Okay. Um, so take go ahead and get five or six potatoes. I like to use, use like a nice red potato. Put in the bottom of the pot. Then I get my oven bag, put some either ribs or chicken tenders in there, and then squirt in a bunch of barbecue sauce or your favorite seasoning with a pat of butter, like, you know, whatever you want to put in there to season your meat. And mush it all around from the outside the bag. That makes it really nice because you don't get all messy and it mushes great from the outside. And then I'm going to flatten it a little bit and put it over the top of the potatoes. And then go put water to cover the meat. Does that make sense? Sure. So I have potatoes. And then meat. And then I'm going to put on the stove, bring it to a boil. In my other pot, what I did at my last class is I actually made Roman beans, which are by far the most requested thing for me to bring for holiday meals. And I've been doing it for quite a while. And basically it's bacon. So I take the other pot, fry some bacon, take the bacon out, cut it up, put a little bit of pepperoncini, just a little pepper in there to give it a little bit of a kick. And then put some Roman beans, and I just find those at the um, the freezer section at the grocery store. Maybe three or four bags. I can't remember how many goes in the recipe. And then I toss that with some salt and pepper. Sometimes I use the Costco. Um, Costco has a, a really thin French bean, and those are really good to use in this recipe too. So you toss that a couple times and add salt and pepper a couple times. And then in a little bowl, I put um, Parmesan cheese and uh, breadcrumbs. Mix those together and add the chopped up bacon and take about one. My other stuff is ready. Take about half of that 
and mix in with, at the bottom and put the rest on the top and sort of pat it down. So the thing you notice about that is it doesn't come to a boil, right? Sure. So it's not going to be at boiling point. So about five minutes left with the when the other one's cooking and has about five minutes left because that's about a 10-minute boil, I'll add this other pot with hot food in it but not boiling over on top of it just to see and leave it there the last five minutes to try and get that as heated through as I can. And then put the lid on. I mean, then take it, you know, when my boiling time's over, put it in the thermal unit. And then I have a meal with potatoes. Oh, by the way, when you open it up, go ahead and put ultra gel inside the meat and you got your gravy. So I have my potatoes, my gravy, my meat, and my vegetable all in one pot. Hmm. Yeah, it's and cool. You take it anywhere you want at the same time. So you take can it that. anywhere. It's just going to sit there and wait for you to eat it. Hmm. Yeah. Fascinating stuff, and I mean, I think, again, we kind of have to drive home the, the whole point that while you have to use some sort of a fuel source, that you, once you get that done, it's it's kind of the set it and forget it thing until it's time. Like you, you, So you really minimize the amount of fuel you have to use. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and this is actually really popular in some parts of the world right now, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it's really popular in the Orient And Australia, I get a lot of people on my, I have a Facebook group page and I have a lot of people from Australia and they keep saying, well, come down here and teach us. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, wouldn't I love that? So I have YouTube channels now so they can watch. Sure, sure. So um, can you talk a little bit more about your book? Uh, you know, is it, is it sure, how absolutely. to, a recipe book, both? I mean, it's called Let's Make Sense of Thermal Cooking Cookbook. So the first section of it goes through the how, what, where, why, when, the basic, um, you know, you want to look at quality of appliance, how to work with the temperature in thermal cooking, the timing in thermal cooking, uh, the volume of your food, how much of the liquid, if it's thick or thin, food safety and efficiency. It's going to talk about all those different things and teach you all the principles you need. Plus, it's also going to teach you if you don't have – If you make your own, it's going to teach you how to use your, how to convert the recipes in the book to making your own by figuring out how efficient your unit is. So I wanted to make sure and get that in there because, you know, who knows going to ha who's going to have it. Uh, so the, that's the book is Let's Make Sense of Thermal Cooking. And then after that chapter, like I said, it's sort of a preparedness um, type of a book. So I go long-term food storage, 90-day canned goods, making meals like chicken enchiladas using, you know, organizing them into their own little meals so you can just go grab it off the shelf and you've got everything you need for that meal that will cook inside the thermal cooker ready to go and it mixes up real quick. Also, then I go into meats and fresh ingredients because that's the next thing. When we have an emergency, you want to know how to have access to fresh ingredients because so far we just talked about food storage. So now we talk about fresh ingredients. Then I go into the sides. There's four sides in thermal cooking. Two of them love the thermal cooker. Two of them seriously do not like the thermal cooker. So grains and beans, which are seriously part of our preparedness, they love the thermal cooker. They will sit in heat for a long, long time, and they're happy. But vegetables and pasta, they do not yeah. like it. Yeah. Yeah. So I teach principles on how to implement those and make sure that we can utilize those items in our thermal cooker. And then we get to um, the bread and cake and desserts. Um, in fact, I have to tell you about my worst failure. I had a serious failure when I was writing the book. 
and testing because I didn't. I wanted more recipes for for desserts. So I thought I looked at a picture of lava cake, and I thought, you know what? That's really soft in the middle. I wonder if that would work. Okay, lava cake does not work in the thermal cooker because <laughs> thermal cooker is all about being as anything that you want crispy is not going to work in the thermal cooker. Mm-hmm. But it makes the most divine lava pudding in the whole wide world. So it's definitely in my book because it is so good. So you But, made a lava cake to turn into lava pudding, or absolutely, yeah, it's okay. now lava pudding. It's not actually lava cake. It's any lava cake recipe would probably work, but it's now called lava pudding because it absolutely does not make a lava cake. It makes lava pudding anyway. So it wasn't really truly a failure. It ended up being a huge success, but anyway, what can, how how can it be bad if it's got um, eggs and and chocolate chips and powdered sugar in it, right? <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. It's really good. It's a yeah. yeah. And then you mentioned you have a YouTube channel. You also have a website. I do. I have I have a website. My website's called CindySense.com. Sometimes people say, "What did you just say?" So if they type in thermalcooking.net, it actually takes you right to my site. That's a little bit easier to remember is thermalcooking.net. And um, my Facebook, everything's after that is the name of my book. So um, my Facebook group and my Facebook page and my uh, YouTube channel, they are all Let's Make Sense of Thermal Cooking. And I've got videos on there. And if you have questions to ask, those are places to go just to ask any questions for thermal cooking. And also my website. There's a newsletter for that, too. And you actually sell thermal cookers as well. And it looks like you, in particular, as far as the cooker itself, Uh, are endorsing the Saratoga Jack. Is there a specific reason you chose that? The reason I – well, it's local to me. Okay, that's um, – nice. Yeah, they are, They live down the street from me. They're down about 25-minute drive from me. And that day when I was researching them and um, after my mom showed me hers, I, I found uh, – I, I got online and, and Amy with Saratoga, uh, Saratoga Jacks was on the phone in about 10 minutes having me go down there and teach and taught and showing me what they had. So they're local to me. So I'm supporting them locally. There's other cookers out there. Uh, but for me, I have a place to go pick them up. They, they're so good to keep me in stock and, and it's just worked out great. Plus it's a good little cooker. It'll last the eight hours. It's got the, I like the deluxe one because it's got the heavy um, clad bottom on both pots that are inside. And it's, like I said, I send them fly in. They're really durable. So that's why I like those. And the book came out, um, one more thing about the book is it came out in um, uh, May of last year. And in the first six months, we sold out of the first printing, which I was really excited about. So the few people that know about it like it. So anyway. So I'll have links in the show notes today to your website, to your social media, to for people to get copies of the book, et cetera. And uh, so all folks have to do is just go by uh, and look up episode 1760. If it's not today, if you're listening in the in the in the future, and I'm speaking to you from the past, uh, always you can find our show notes at thesurvivalpodcast.com. Just type the episode number did, in the search box, and it'll pop up for you. Anyway, go ahead. Oh well, I did. I did think for those that are listening in the next few days, I thought that since I'm, you know, would maybe do something for your listeners that. Cool. that went in there and um, anything on my site I've taken shipping off for the next five days and since I don't shop on Sunday it's actually will be through Monday okay. so I've taken all shipping charges off so you won't have any shipping if you want anything just un- continental United States 
So, so. free shipping at cindysense.com uh, for the next five days, and today being, of course, for six. So uh, there you go, folks. That's a, that's a great deal. I, thank you for doing that for everybody. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, again, I really appreciate you being with us today, Cindy. This has been a, a great interview, and uh, love to have you back anytime you want to come back. You got anything new to tell us? I would love to come back anytime. It was fun. Thank you so much. With that, we've got the interview wrapped up. want to remind you guys, if you like this show and you want to support the work I do, you can become a member of the Member Support Brigade, the Survival Podcast Member Support Brigade. And if you do that, not only will you help support the show, uh, but you'll get so many discounts and so many things that you're buying anyway, you will more than pay for your membership with the discounts. It's called win-win. And right now that deal's even sweeter because I am running a sale for this entire week And uh, the discount code is PLANT, P-L-A-N-T. That will get your first year for 25 bucks. Just go to survivalpodcast.com, click on Members to learn more. If you want to join by mail, there's a form at the bottom. You'll see Pay by Check, Money Order, etc. You can pay by U.S. Mail. Or if you do it online, again, PLANT is the discount code either way. First year, $50 membership for 25 bucks, And there's two additional discount memberships you get with that for free. One is a one-year membership to... Uh, Western Botanicals, that's a $50 membership you get for free. And then a $49 uh, discount lifetime membership with Safe Castle Royal. So it's really a sweet deal of 25 bucks. If you've been on the fence, consider getting off the fence and uh, becoming a member of the brigade today. Remember, if you want to do business with other members of the TSP community, small businesses of just about every type out there, you can go to tspbiz.com, tspbiz.com. That'll just direct you to the business directory at the Survival Podcast website. Today's featured uh, member of the directory is Creative Country Designs. They provide photography and website design work. They also offer a line of handcrafted home decorations on Facebook. You can find their store by visiting the TSP directory, and I'll have a link to their listing today. But as always, just tspbiz.com, the place to find and be found when it comes to doing business with members of the Survival Podcast community. And that brings us to our song of the day. Our song of the day is by one of my favorite singer-songwriters of all time. He's a guy that's still around, still making music, and I saw him open for Jimmy Buffett about two years ago. Maybe it was a year ago. I don't really remember. I have a tendency to not completely remember Jimmy Buffett concerts. But I was amazed that Jackson Brown sounded as good live today as he did 40 years ago. The man is phenomenal as a talented musician. He really is. And this is one of his big hits uh, from back, I believe it was in 74 or 75, the song was released. Um, it's called Before the Deluge. And this is a song that has a lot of people guessing as to what the meanings really are all about, because a lot of people think it's about the Noah flood, right, from the Bible. There's a lot of lines in it that place the time frame now, so a lot of people think, well, maybe it's a return of it. Uh, to me, what this song has always really been about is there's always catastrophes in people's lives. There's always things that people are trying and striving to do, and there's always interruptions, there's always losses, there's always failures, but there's also always successes. There's always been bad people doing bad things, but there's also always been good people trying to do good things. And a lot of times the good people get run over by the bad people, but in the end, we don't really know what's going to happen. We're not really sure what's going to happen. We have to wait for that to play out in front of us. We have to let creation show us what's going to come next. 
I really find it, while on some levels a sad song, I find it quite an inspirational song. And I thought I would share it with you guys today. So with that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Struggle to protect her from them.